I'm Christian, and welcome to the Gemoir Leadership Podcast, a show where we talk about effective collaboration, influence, and leadership in an increasingly complex world. My interview partner is Dr. Dirk Schlimm. Dirk is an international leadership expert and the author of Influencing Powerful People. The purpose of this podcast is to share ideas and stimulate discussion, and it does not constitute professional advice of any kind. If such advice is needed, the services of a competent professional should be sought. The speakers, hosts, and Gemar International Incorporated are not to be held responsible for any use, misuse, or reuse of the content. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Gemar Leadership Podcast. We are in a series on conflict management, so please check out our two previous episodes. In the first one, we discuss lessons learned from the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. In our second episode, we learn from high-stakes climate activism in Germany. Today, in our third episode, we're talking about conflict management among members of executive teams and boards of directors. Conflict and dysfunction at the top of the house of a company can be a big issue given the various personalities in the room. This ranges from brash, strong-willed characters ready to duke it out, to skillful diplomats treading carefully to steer clear of conflict and everything in between these two. Dirk, why is good conflict management so important for senior teams? Yeah, uh, thanks, Christian. So first of all, you're right. Good conflict management and healthy team uh, dynamics um, at the top, be it on a senior executive team or a board, is crucial. And that is because this team deals with the most difficult problems uh, facing the organization. Uh, and they also set the tone for the organization um, as, as a whole. So, so whatever they do and however they solve conflict will likely be imitated at, at the next level. And you will often find the, the smartest people uh, in, the, in the company on that team, but they're not always the best uh, conflict managers. As you said, some of them are brash, which can lead to uh, collision or, or steam uh, rolling issues, and others are uh, political and organizationally savvy, but that can lead to avoiding conflict, uh, things that we actually um, ought to uh, duke out, to use the term, with a bit of uh, conflict. And so what we're looking for is healthy conflict that leads to good outcomes and that helps build stronger uh, team relationships, especially, again, at the top of the house. Thanks, Dirk. And that's a great way to set up the topic here. So let's dive in. What can senior teams do to manage conflict in a healthy manner? I mean, if we have learned one thing from our, our past two episodes, it's that we must expect conflict between people who are on the same team. So what do we make of that? Yeah, um, exactly. So, so again, absence of conflict is never the goal uh, because different opinions and perspective being discussed, being brought forward will, will help us make uh, better uh, uh, decisions. And, and so the problem we want to talk about here today is that people are often very much focused on the issues or on the substance of uh, the matter, which is, of course, hugely uh, important, but they neglect good practices uh, that relate to the process of discussions and to the relationships among the people involved. And, and this is where, where some rules can actually uh, really help us. Rules. Okay, I see. But how popular is that going to be? Rules sound like a lot of bureaucracy. And 
they are a fact of management thinkers. And there are people who tell us to do away with rules or even to, I hear it often, break the rules. Yeah, that's that that that's right. But but when it comes to to managing a top team conflict, rules actually uh, can help us as long, of course, they are the right rules. And mm. and this is about the difference between you know fighting fair and a no holds barred bar brawl, so to speak. Okay, Dirk, that's a, a helpful distinction. We need the right rules. That makes sense. So tell us more about that. Yeah, uh, when it comes to uh, creating healthy uh, uh, relationships and and ways of doing things better at at uh, with within top teams, I, I believe there are really three things uh, that can help such a team uh, to get along better. And so the first one, as we have already mentioned, we need some rules on how we deal with different perspectives and and conflict. Um, we need these rules again because we must. Uh, expect conflict even if we are on the same team and these rules are meant for helping us deal with uh, conflict in a manner that's that's constructive no matter what the issue is so that that's really the first thing that we have some rules now second is once we have our rules we need to be sure that we we follow them because that's absolutely not 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 a given and so we need some processes in place uh to make sure that we we follow the rule the rules so if you will we need a bit of policing of uh of the rules or a nicer word for that is is that management consultants uses process leadership but but it's really essentially the same uh the same thing and and then finally the third thing is we need to create an environment where we can trust our team and all its members that we can speak openly. So, so the meeting is a safe space um, of, of sorts. So that means that I can test my ideas, I can have some bad ideas, and it's not becoming a big problem right, uh, right away. And the, the opposite uh, here is people leaving the meeting, you know, going on about the team members rather than taking up the, the issue with them. So, so that would be the, the, the three things that I would think are, are very important. Thanks, Dirk. Three points. You know I like that. And it sounds like we have first make some rules, then follow the rules, and then finally create a safe space for conflict. So thinking about that, first question here, where do we get the rules from? Yeah, well, these days we can always start by asking chat GPT and you uh, get some rules there. And so I actually tried it uh, before this, this, this discussion we're having here. And so chat GPT gave me uh, eight rules for executive team meetings, which were actually very well articulated. Okay, Dirk, well, podcast over. Sounds like we did it. Job well done. Easy. But uh, why don't we unpack that a bit more? Yeah. So, so first of all, ChatGPT actually is a very powerful tool for this uh, for this type of stuff, right? And and mm. uh, but but there are a couple of things you want to keep in mind. Firstly, ChatGPT uh, will sound plausible. That's what it's trained uh, to do. That's one of its core uh, strengths. But you don't actually know for sure whether it rules are any good. So it could be some bad rules in there, I guess. Or, or whether you're missing uh, a key uh, a key role, and so in, in fact, the Harvard Business School uh, recommends that you start with the assumption that it, so it being ChatGPT, is wrong unless you know otherwise. And 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 so ChatGPT works best for topics that you understand. And and then second, again, while ChatGPT may spit out some good and very useful rules, these are then not our rules. They are someone else's or if you will in this case something uh, else's 
And they may be good in general, but they may not fit with our specific culture, our specific team dynamic uh, dynamics. And also we had no role in creating them. So they can feel imposed by someone or something that doesn't know us. So, so I'd say ChatGPT uh, may give you a great starting point or a great reference point, but then you want people on your team to participate in, in the rulemaking. Derek, thank you for that. That actually makes a lot of sense. And it's something I've experienced recently in my PhD program. In my cohort, we had to take a doctoral seminar on pedagogy. So the art of teaching. And in that course, the instructors, recognizing we're PhD students who will be setting up our own syllabus one day, decided that we should cooperatively, the instructors and the PhD students set up our syllabus. So the syllabus being essentially the rule book for the course where you get your assignments, your grades, and how it all plays out. We collaborated on that, and we helped set up what our assignments would be, how much different things would be weighted, what coursework would look like, and group work. And by the end of that, I think most students, when you help set up your assignments and the rules of the course, you feel some greater responsibility. You feel a sense of ownership. You feel a sense of, hey, I want to get this done. So making that a general point, it makes sense to say if people participate in making the rules, they feel more obligated to follow them. That's certainly what I felt it in that situation. They became my rules, so to speak. It became my syllabus. And I think that's a general point. What do you make of that, Dirk? Yeah, no, no, exactly. So that, that's what we're, what we're talking about here. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. W wonderful, Dirk. So that was my example in a, in a university doctoral setting, but how exactly would we do this in a management situation in the in the business world? How do the rules become our rules in this context? Yeah, Christian, uh, maybe I'll give you an example here. And mm -hmm. so, so one senior team that I that I worked with, uh, what I what what I did is when we you know talked about the importance of rules and how rules might might help the team that that had some 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 issues. I asked all the team members, uh, but individually, that if they had one rule that they could make that they could unilaterally impose on the team, if they were King for one day, so to speak, what would that rule be? And, and most of them uh, picked a rule that dealt with a systemic problem that they had seen on their team, a behavior that really annoyed them or that was really dysfunctional. And it's something that it happens all the time. And, and so what then can happen in a process like this is that more than one person actually comes up with the same rule for, for the same thing. And then we know that we're really um, onto, uh, onto something. Um, the, the other thing that you can do and that, that I have done is just lead the team through a discussion of productive and unproductive uh, conflict behavior and ask them whether they have experienced this as, as a problem or, or something that they've seen that's working really well. And again, what typically happens, sometimes these teams, they think, hey, this, these kind of, um, you know, crazy things only, only happen on, on our team. And then when you, you, you take them to the uh, presentation and you ask them, hey, relate this stuff to, to your team, they find, no, 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 we have seen this here and we know it's not productive. And now we understand it's normal or there's reasons why people behave that way. Um, so, so again, that would be another approach, approach that helps us to make the right rules for this team that we're, that we're on. 
Okay, Dirk, that sounds really good. So maybe you can give us some examples of the kinds of rules that teams would have adopted. Yeah, so so let me start. The first one that that uh, resonates quite often is a rule that that uh, that is called no hats, and and that no hats rule is especially important again for a senior team. What we what we're talking about here, um, again, an executive team where the leaders have responsibility for different functions or business area uh, in in the company, and and so no hats means that as a senior executive or board member, I'm not here to first and foremost represent my department, which is of course the perspective I bring to it, um, but to put the central purpose of the organization first. I'm, I'm not wearing the finance, the sales, or the product hat. I bring a strategic and values-driven view to the conversation, and I engage with an open mind with people from other departments. Okay, Dirk, very helpful. No hats, I like that. Would you have a couple more you could give us? Sure. Um, a second one would be keep the main thing the main thing, and so so we we have to remember that in an executive uh, or, or board meeting we could discuss a lot of stuff, and some of it is important, and some of it is 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 not so important. But we have to realize that everything is potentially important to to someone, and that's not always uh, helpful because people like to talk about things that they know or they like to think talk about things that they're expert in so there is a real danger that we spend too much time on something we like to go on about or maybe even like to show off our knowledge and get into all kinds of uh, kinds of detail or other times it's it's something that just happened we we lost an order or we got a customer complaint uh, sure this is uh, relevant, but but this immediate concern should not be taking over our uh, agenda. And we have to realize that if we dive in on, on, on some of those immediate concerns, it, it, it does come at the expense of something else. And we have limited time in this board or executive meeting. And I've heard this expressed in a board context like, like this. And, and that's, a, I thought, a fantastic way of putting it. And the question is, is this discussion that we're having right now, is it really a good return on board director time invested? And when it, especially this is an important question because again, it comes at the expensive, expense of something more important we could have or should have uh, discussed. And if that's the case, then it's not, not more important. So the rule is keep the main thing, the main thing. Dirk, I, I think we could all see that. I've know, I know I've seen that on a couple of the boards I sit on when someone really wants to discuss their pet topic and no one steps in because they're either too polite or they don't want to start something out of nothing. And then we end up, I think it's unfortunate, we end up really rushing through that important topic at the end because we have to get it, but we wasted all of our time. So that's a great rule. Keep the main thing the main thing. Dirk, do you have a third example you could give us? Sure. Um, there are probably actually a few more, but but I had uh, uh, if I only had three, uh, my third one would be the rule is that we debate and we decide and then we move on. Okay, a bit of a rhythm there. What's that all about? Well, um, even with the, the strongest commitment to the, the central purpose of the organization, there will always be decisions that that some people like and, and other people don't like. And, and so the losers, if you will, of the debate or the decision, they will sometimes come 
uh, back to it. They rehash the decision in another meeting, or they slow down the implementation uh, with the with the hope of a uh, uh, reversal. They they thought they lost the battle, but they're trying to win the war. And 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 that kind of behavior is is not productive. As a team and as individuals, we have to be able uh, to move on. You just cannot win them all. Mm. Dirk, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm seeing parallels where I've seen this in academic settings as well. So back to our main things here, we have to make some rules and we ensure that everyone has a say in making the rules so that their issue gets addressed and we all agree on the rules. What's next? Yeah, so again, the, the next thing is now that we have the rules, we need to uh, follow them. And this, like many other good ideas, is much, much easier said than it is done. All right, Dirk, then I'm going to push you on that. So how do we do it? How do we make sure that the team members follow the rules? Yeah, so here we need something uh, that is typically referred to as, as process um, leadership. And so let's take the example of a, of a board meeting. And this would often be the responsibility of the chairperson um, to, to take that process leadership, or it can be uh, someone else as well who uh, steps forward and provides some active facilitation if we, if we can get, if we get into a, a discussion here. So, so even though we just said earlier, we, we have no hats, there will always be people who are more invested in an issue than, than others. And it's hard for them, the people who are really invested here to moderate the, uh, the session. So discussion. So the process leadership could come from someone whose department isn't part of the issue or someone who doesn't feel strongly about the issue either way and can see uh, both sides. And, and so this is not a big thing necessarily. This could be as simple as asking, hey, uh, it looks like we're getting into a fair amount of detail here and we don't have all the experts in the room we need in the discussion. Should we delegate this to a task force that has all the experts? And then we, we ask them to come uh, back with a, uh, with a uh, proposal. So that would be one example of process leadership. Uh, now, we have to be realistic that not everyone may appreciate this uh, intervention in the moment. And so this process leadership does require some, some courage. Right, Dirk, I can imagine that if you try to help moderating an argument between two powerful senior executives, they may end up turning on you. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and so so it's a good practice, therefore, to deal with issues when they're not all that controversial. So, so we get used to following uh, the rules. Dirk, how would we do that? Yeah. So, and and uh, just the best tool that I know here is the debrief, and that would mm. say, hey, let's take five to ten minutes after the meeting and review how we uh, did today. Uh, did today, you know, do we feel that we're wearing no hats? Did we keep the main thing, uh, the main thing? Did we rehash, rehash, or uh, reopen uh, issues that were decided? And we did that between this and the previous meeting, and. Um, then you can say something like, well, probably not a big deal, but I think we maybe took too much time on discussing the new marketing campaign for the XYZ product, or we probably, and we probably could have left that to the marketing team, or we could have called a special meeting on this and included some other people if it's really all that important, or you know, maybe perhaps we shortchanged today the discussion brought up by person ABC because the topic was the last on the agenda and people were rushing to get 
out of the meeting. So it's 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 a you know more benign way to bring those issue up, but it's not a huge controversy at that moment. Right. So people get used to the idea that maybe we didn't follow our rules all that well, and it is normal and expected to point this out, and that helps us make course corrections for the next time. Yeah, Christian, that's that's exactly it, and and we we can um, also surface disagreement on the relative importance of issues. Uh, maybe I didn't think the marketing campaign was all that important at the board level, but somebody else thought uh, they thought it was very important, and then they can explain why that why that was. Okay, so the debrief sounds like a very good tool for this. Dirk, bringing us back to our main conversation points. What about the safe space here? Yeah, that, that relates to um, to making sure that we can really talk about things without what I would say call uh, without fear of repercussion and uh, uh, and I think we need that to keep it to keep it real, so to speak. Gotcha, Dirk. But let me push back a little bit here. In our previous two episodes, we talked about how conflict happens, even and especially between people who are on the same team, ranging from our examples in the. U.S. House of Representatives to the climate change activists in Germany. Can we really expect uh, to be uh, mollycoddled in an executive uh, or board meeting, as the saying goes, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen? Yeah, uh, Christian, Christian, you're right. And this is why I, I, I was, you know, still maybe looking for the right term here for, for safe space. Not sure whether that is the right term because it can conjure up the wrong uh, uh, notion and maybe there is a better uh, word word for it, but but let me tell you what I mean. I I, I remember a CEO who asked in a meeting whether there were any uh, problems in the department. This was a department review, and the CEO said, "Hey, are there any problems here?" And, and at first, people said, "No, everything's good." Uh, and then he said, "Come on, nothing's ever perfect." And then some people said, "Well, okay, maybe we have a problem with getting projects done before we start new ones." And he said, "Hey, tell me more." And and people did. And and then the CEO said, "Wow, it's really helpful to know to know this." And and nobody was reprimanded or uh, blamed. The CEO just dealt with the issues, and so people realized that it was you know an air quotes here safe to point out problems. Nobody got in trouble. In fact, the people surfacing the problems were thanked for having the courage to speak up. Dirk, I see where you're going with this. That's a great example. So as always, do you have another one? Yeah, so the other one is, uh, again, as I mentioned, in many uh, uh, companies, there is a tendency to get into the into discussions uh, that I would call that are kind of expert only uh, uh, discussion. And then there's a temptation for people who are not expert to tune out. And, you know, these days you, you check your emails while the, while the experts are, uh, are going on, uh, going on. But instead of doing that, you could also said, Hey guys, uh, looks like you're really getting into some very technical detail here. Could you just explain this uh, a bit more so that I can, uh, follow follow along and and also you could say could you explain to me what the strategic relevance of this topic is how does it affect the company um, as as a whole and and so again the question then is whether it is okay whether we have the quote unquote safe space uh, where, where where I can uh, do that where it's a, a real place where everyone on this team can participate and where people are not afraid uh, to raise uncomfortable issues, controversial issues, or to say, hey, look, you know, I understand this problem enough to contribute here. Can you please explain it to me? Dirk, that 
is clear as always, thank you, but let's dig in a little bit here as we close out. What can we do to contribute to a safe or a, a real space other than sticking our own necks out, so to speak? Yeah, and, and Christian, you know what, that, that really is an, an excellent uh, question. And, and so one thing we can do, if, if we're not the one who are you know, invoking the, the safe space, so to speak, we can say then, hey, thanks for asking that question. I was actually wondering the same thing. So it's either the expert can say, hey, sorry, I didn't realize I got into too much detail. Uh, let me explain it to you. Or again, somebody else, you may in that situation, what happens so often, everyone is thinking it, but nobody's saying anything. And so if you are now again, have the courage to say, I don't understand this technical detail that's being discussed here. There may be two or three other people on that board or on the executive team who say, you know what? I didn't understand that either. I just didn't want to sh show off my, my lack of knowledge here. And so using those, those, those situations, you can either say in the moment, hey, I was wondering the same thing. Thanks so much for bringing that out. Or when we're in the debrief, they can say, hey, what worked very well today is that so-and-so, you know, really asked that question and that brought us back to the main thing. And I just want to point out that was super useful. Let's do that again in the future. That would be just a couple of, uh, of, of examples. Great, Dirk. And I love that reinforcing the helpful behavior. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's, what, we're, that's what we're looking for. All right, Dirk, thank you. Very helpful. And I think it's there that we have to call an end to our episode, as always, very helpful. And these are practical principles to help us build better dynamics on senior management team or in a board meeting. And as I think I highlighted here, as you're talking, Dirk, the application is pretty far and wide. So let me just share a bit of my summary from our notes here. So number one, make some rules and make sure that these are your rules that address your issues and circumstances. Second, you want to follow the rules. Of course, you don't have to be bureaucratic about this, but expect that you will be bumping into the rules from time to time. Have the courage to call out the rules and in these situations and consider a regular debrief. The third point, create a safe space or a real space where people can bring up difficult topics and have healthy debate, both on the substance of the meetings and the meeting process. Encourage these things. And lastly, we as a team should probably review once in a while how we're doing these three points and any other rules that we have agreed upon. Dirk, what do you think? Christian, I think you covered it very well. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you so much, Dirk. I'm very glad to hear that. And that's all the time we have. So thank you everyone for lis listening to the Gemoir Leadership Podcast. Always a pleasure. We hope that you'll join us again in a couple of weeks when we have